We're going to continue our series this morning by reading from the book of Acts chapter 6 as we engage more in understanding about the party of God's people that is the church. Uh, I want to welcome Carol Hookstra forward. She's going to pray that God be present in our time during um, the teaching of his word and that through the Spirit's um, intercession that we can hear what it is that God wants us um, to hear and be challenged in the ways that God wants us to be challenged. Carol. Outstanding. Would you lead us? Please pray with me. Our Father, we thank you that through many paths, many countries, many residences, many parents, many people, you have brought us here. And we do not make any mistake that it is your spirit that has brought us here. It's your spirit that has brought Pastor Scott here. And it is your spirit that has equipped him today with the words that you will use to change our lives, to help us flesh out our love of Jesus. This week, I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Carol. You're okay? Okay. Well, my ego isn't okay, but the rest I should have helped you down. I am so sorry for that, Carol. Oh, pardon me while I, and all of us, take a breath. A um, number of years ago, oh, this is quite a long time, and I remember it from Oprah Winfrey. I think there was a book about it. She said something like, it takes a village to raise a child. Do you remember that phrase? Do you remember that idea? It takes a village to raise a child. And I remember um, when that sort of came out, talking about it, thinking about it as a culture, and it was dialogued about in a lot of different places. Um, and that was really before that Kristen and I had um, really dug that deep into parenting. I think we had probably Katie at the time. Um, our other two kids were yet on the way, and um, we were learning with this whole parenting thing. As we've gotten older, though, uh, that whole idea of parenting a child takes a village takes on more and more and more truth to me. Because, um, you know, I, I don't know about you, I, I want to think of myself as a super parent. Like, I'm really good at this. I got this figured out. I've got, I can do the things that I need to do to be a good dad to Katie, Cameron, and Troy and provide all the things that they need to have a fully formed spiritual life, academic life, social life, uh, relational life, all that other sort of stuff. But um, the problem is, is that I wake up in the morning and I look in the mirror because I see me and realize that I'm not capable of all that not even close. And I doubt, in fact, I know there's not a single father or mother in this room who is capable of doing that. And I especially know that um, there's some of you who are not mom or dad, maybe your aunt or uncle or grandparent, but you're a part of raising kids as well. And you know you need help. I actually give all the credit in the world to single parents. Trying to raise a child on your own is just so challenging. And when I was thinking about how the village has raised my kids, um, some names come to mind for me. I look over and I see uh, Dan and Sarah Shankle over there. My oldest daughter, Katie, was the babysitter for a long time for your kids, right? And 
the amount of influence that you and your kids had on my daughter's life is just mind-blowing and how much she thinks of you and thinks of, of your three children and enough so that she invited you and wants you to be at their, her wedding here in, in about a month or so because she just thinks so highly of what you've blessed her in her life. And then I, I look back there at Pastor Bill. And Pastor Bill is one of the most positive people in the world. If you know Pastor Bill, you know that. There is never a bad day. I, I believe we actually had a, con- we had a conversation about that this morning. That whenever Bill wakes up, opens his eyes, and take a, takes a breath, it's a good day, right? I mean, the fact that you're old like you are and you, you're alive, that's, that's a... That's a gift, but he's also just so positive. And I know, especially for like my daughter Cameron, he's just spoken so many positive things into her life and been a blessing to her. And I think of especially when um, there was a basketball team that they were on in Ukaipa and Bill and Harriet would show up for games and everything was great because there's nothing in Bill's life that's not great. Everything was great. And it was just so fun to watch these kids and to play and to develop. And then, um, you know, I think of, of Mario um, in the life of... In the life of my son, Troy. And how much of a blessing this short little guy has been to a boy who's had a lot of great things, but also had some really tough things. And how Mario's come alongside him. I can remember Mario coming to our home and just going into Troy's room and closing the door and blessing my son with love and encouragement. And then I look over at Dale and Glenda. Dale and Glenda are in many ways our adopted grandparents here at the river. And they come to games and they show up at activities and they bless Kristen and I with life and with love and we couldn't do this without that support and all of you who have kids know that and all of you who are seeing your kids grow understand that know that that is a truth that you can engage with deeply and allow God to use the people around you allow them to use the gifts that God has given them to bless your children and embrace that. Because in our text this morning, we see that God planned that out. That was intentional on God's part. That different people would be involved in different aspects of ministry and life in the church in such a way that their giftedness, their abilities would be a blessing that would multiply what it was that the church was doing at the time. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We'll begin with verse 1. It says this, There in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now you look at that, and those of you who maybe don't know the Jewish culture of the day, you don't really understand what that means. Let me help you understand So where Jesus' ministry was centered was what province? What province was he centered in? The Galilee, right? That's a province in Israel. And Galilee at that time was considered Hebraic Jew central. 
And Hebraic Jew central simply means this, that the people there lived into their Jewishness in every way. They lived into speaking, living, doing the traditions, dressing, eating, all the law in a Jewish way, Hebraic Jewish way. But they were not the only Jews in the region. In fact, those of the, and I know there's a couple couples who, who recently have been to, to Israel, where you are in Galilee is not that far removed from a city called Tiberias. Tiberias is actually on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and it is a city that was not a center for Hebraic Jews, Jews who lived into Jewish culture in every way, but Jews who were living into Greek culture, Hellenistic. So when you read Hellenism, you're reading about Greek culture. So Tiberias is the center for Hellenistic Judaism, which means that they had more deeply adopted the culture that was coming. Herod, actually the king, he was a Greek Jew or Hellenistic Jew. And so they were supporting him or living into his traditions and the traditions that were, in a sense, more like the contemporary stuff. So if you want to think sort of even in our own culture, um, we have more traditional people who live in some ways like the slice of life back in the 50s and 60s and those ideals, and those who live more in a 2000s way of life, living into that culture. That's the two divisions here. And the problem was in the church was that if you were part of the Hellenistic Jewish culture and you were a widow... When the time came to distribute food, you got the short end of the stick. There's favoritism going on. And of course, it seems to make sense. Where did Jesus go in order to call his disciples? Where did he go? Went to Galilee. Called his disciples from Galilee. Who are the people who live in Galilee? They are the Hebraic Jews. So they would then serve and give what was needed for those who were from their culture, from their context, probably in some senses, even grandmas that they had known for a very long time. People that they knew their story, people that they were familiar with. And these other folks who were new to the community, they would have said, well, I, didn't, I don't really know, we don't really know you that much, we don't know you that well. So you can have some, but not nearly as much as these folks that we know so well. And of course, that's a problem, right? It should be equality. In fact, we know earlier on in the text that the whole idea of the church was to share with one another as you have need, and they were one in doing that. Unfortunately, they weren't one in the distribution of it. So that's the context for this story from Acts chapter 6. Let's continue reading. We'll read the next three verses. It says this, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, it's interesting. It's, it, it's a, I almost wish the Bible didn't say it the way that it does. Because it sounds like they're looking down, even in the way that they say it. They're not called to wait on tables, right? 
And I I wish it said it differently, but it it doesn't. It says it that way. At the very least, we understand that what the disciples were doing in prayer and the preaching of the word was really important. And they knew that. And they were wanting to live deeply into that. And doing this other ministry, which in a sense we call mercy ministry, and care for those who have need, that that would be a distraction from what it was that they were supposed to be doing. And so, what do you do? Well, you do what you should do, and that is you try to find a group of people then who have the passion and the ability to do this thing really well, and then you call them to do it. But it's interesting how the disciples do that. They could have said, we will choose, but what is it that they say? They say, brothers and sisters, verse 3, you choose seven men from among you, who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. That's an important point, and you probably missed it if you were going quickly. Why would the disciples do that? Why would they encourage the church to be a part of choosing the seven? Well, really what they wanted, they wanted a couple of things. They wanted the church to be involved. They wanted the individuals who the church was serving, who were a part of the ministry, who were a part of the gospel message, who were a part of loving their neighbor as their self and loving their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They wanted those people to come in and be a part of, in a sense, setting the vision for what was going to happen. So they're saying, in a sense, to like everyone in the pew here, you're a part of this. We need your input. We need you to be a part of what's going on here. You can't just sit back and say, oh, whatever, right? And what's interesting is if we think about that, that's completely countercultural to our culture right now. The idea of us just saying whatever is really easy to do. And in fact, we often live into that. We're not engaged. We're not jumping in. We're not a part of the process, Instead, we sit back and these disciples in calling people to be a part of it are saying, that's not the way it should be. The church is involved. We are the body of Christ. And you can't, as we know from scripture, say, oh, what the eye says is not important. We need to listen to the ear. It says all of us are part of this. This is important work because if we're not doing this stuff together, if we're not caring for the widows, caring for the needy together and being a part of that process, then that process isn't everything that it could be. If we're not doing our job well, if we're not contributing, what's left is not nearly what could be. But the flip side of that is so true. When others are contributing, when there's others engaging, when there's people using the gifts as, as um, Nate was talking about earlier, using their gifts, what God has called them towards in faithfulness, what we have then is more fully formed, more beautiful, more awesome. Let me give you an example of that. If you are a staff person of this church, if you get paid a check by this church to do work, would you please stand? All right, there you go. And there's several missing. Stay standing for a moment. Shana. Shana over here is involved with our kids. 
And Shana has such a heart for kids. If you're an Instagram friend with Shana, you are gonna see how much of a heart that she has for her own kids. And that same love for kids lives into her love for the rest of the kids who are a part of our early childhood ministry. She plans, works with volunteers, gets materials together, works with the children's ministry team, and does incredible work. And I'll tell you this, she doesn't have that many hours. But beautifully, and God be praised for it, she gives us even more than what we pay for. Thank you, Shani. You can be seated. This lady over here, Karen. Karen's going to, hey, I'm getting in so much trouble lately. Look at that. Look at her shaking her head at me. None of these folks knew this, but it's worth it, and I'm going to tell you why. Karen over here. Karen has stepped into thinking about every person who walks in the door for the first time, second time, third time, all of our visitors, all of the people who are guests, all the people who are new to the river, and asking the question, how do we connect them more deeply to the gifts God has given them in the ministry they are a part of? And I'll tell you this, she doesn't work that many hours, but she gives us even more than what we pay her for. And without that, there would be a whole lot of you new folks who would have no idea where you fit, but because Karen has been a part of that work, you've known more. Thank you, Karen. You may be seated. I'll give you a break. You can't. This is Dewanda. And about five years ago or so, three, four years ago, Dewanda took on the position of our, as our custodian. And Dewanda, God be praised, about a little while ago, she got another job that's full-time because Dewanda needs that in order to keep going. She works hard at her other job, but you know what? She works really hard here. She comes when it's dark at night. She cleans this place so that we can be a part of worship on Sunday. She is a, 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 a person who oftentimes has to set up at weird hours or take down after things are done. Something finishes at like 7, 8 o'clock at night. Dewana comes afterwards and makes sure that the next thing that happens gets taken care of. And she doesn't work that many hours either. But we get more from her than what we pay her for. Dewanda is a huge blessing in using her gifts. Thank you, Dewana. That guy back there most negative person you'll ever meet in your entire life. <laughs> Bill, Bill does this. Bill comes into the office, sits down in, in, uh, in front of my desk. Uh, we, we, he sits on a chair in front of my desk. And we talk about things that are going on in the lives of people in the church, especially our senior saints, those who are shut in. And he and John Gonzalez, where's John? You stand up too, because these guys are partners in crime now. Um, so the two of these guys will take communion elements to those who are shut in. And I can tell you this, like a couple, there was about a week ago where like for four hours in one afternoon, they were just moving from house to house to house, caring for those who can't be a part of this community. And yet they can be blessed by having this community love them by bringing them sacraments. And not, you know, John almost died like three years ago. God be praised. He's, he's alive and well with us. Bill's almost dead. So the fact that... <laughs> The fact that these guys can do what it is that they're doing is pretty awesome, but they do it, and they do it with so much joy and life. And we don't pay these guys near enough, and they give us way more than what we pay them for. You tell you two guys can be seated. This guy over here, Greg. Greg does the dirty work oftentimes in the church, and the reason it's dirty is it often has to do with financial accounting and the stuff that I cannot do at all. And Greg spends a whole lot of time making sure not only bills are paid, but that they're paid to the appropriate amount, meaning if we need to go out and find a new vendor for our insurance or to take care of our elevator or to take care of the facility, he does our best to keep our costs down. 
He does, does his absolute best to make sure that the policy manual for the employees that what we're doing is appropriate and right and lawful. He makes sure that people like myself get medical insurance and that that's good medical insurance and necessary medical insurance. And Greg is here a lot. And he answers a lot of phone calls that he has to then go somewhere else and find information and check with some other people. And I ask a lot of Greg. And oftentimes it makes him crazy because Greg will spend three hours on a piece of paper bringing into my, because he wants to make sure it's clear and, and right and organized and everything. And then he brings it and he puts it onto my desk and then within 30 seconds I read the thing, make a decision and we move on. He's just spent all that time on it. But I can tell you this, all that time that he spends allows me to do my work in a way that is this huge blessing. Greg doesn't get paid nearly enough. Thank you, Greg. Finally, this lady over here. Beth obviously does all this, and she's done all this for a good amount of time, 30 years plus, and been a part of this community in some deep ways. Been through a lot of challenges and wars with worship and other things and change and transition, and sometimes I challenge Beth to do things, and I challenge Beth to think about things maybe in a way that I'm thinking about it, maybe she's not thinking about it, but what's so great And what's so awesome is watching her develop and continue to use those gifts to bring some of those things into our worship. For example, the fact that there are the kids up here. That was something that I pushed really hard. And I pushed hard, and I'll admit it. I pushed Beth really hard to do it. And the beautiful thing is not only is she now engaged in that deeply, but she loves it. It's a passion of hers to see that in the lives of our kids And our kids are now leading worship in these amazing ways. And here's some of the best part. We asked Beth to be the worship director here. But do you know that last year, the women's conference came because of Beth? A couple years before that, the marriage conference came because of Beth. Her energy, her focus, her wanting to see those things, she moved beyond her work, beyond her role and responsibilities to say, how can I bless this community and give to these people in a way that enriches the life of the church and allows God to do his work in us. That was work that we never asked her to do and yet because of the passion and the calling of God, she did it. We don't pay Beth nearly enough. Thank you, Ed. I could talk about Mario. Mario hasn't been here at church for like a month and a half because he's all over the place with our kids. He's doing things right now in Montana. That means we ask him for 10 days to be on. He never is off. He goes to bed at night on. He wakes up in the morning on. He's working the whole time. He's got to drive back from Montana with a bunch of tired, cranky high school kids. How many of you want to do that? And he does that because he's got the gifts. I could talk about Don Morris, who does our technology. I could talk about others who are in children's ministry, Becca Treemstra, as well as Patty DeWeird, who are involved in doing different things. And of course, we certainly miss Rachel Peters right now as our administrative assistant who's on maternity leave. Each one of these people is deeply giving their gifts. And I can tell you, uh, there's no way in the world I could do what Shana did. Shana does. There's no way in the world. Our children would be, like you ever seen the, um, you know, like the, the, what is it, Lord of the Flies? That's what would happen. But it does allow me to do this. And it does allow me to be a part of the things in leadership. It does allow me to create vision. And without these folks, I can't do that. We wouldn't be able to do that. They have their gifts and they bless you. And I hope that this morning you hear these things as an inspiration to you. 
Because each one of these folks is you just doing it in that area of ministry. What is a God calling you towards? Let's continue, five and six. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed, and they laid their hands on them. It's interesting. It says this in the text. Hear it right from the beginning. This proposal pleased who? Who did it please? The whole group. All right? So this is a unity thing. Why would it please the whole group? Well, it pleased the whole group because they contributed to it. They were a part of the decision making. They were a part of the discussion who should be selected. And they were a part of the activity. They weren't spectators. They were involved. But you also see this important thing. You see the name Nicholas. Why is Nicholas's name important? Look what it says. It says, Nicholas from Antioch, what does it say next? A, con- a convert to Judaism. This was a guy who was what? Involved in Hellenistic culture. Antioch is a Greek city. He was a part of that whole world of Greek culture. And then he comes into Judaism. What kind of Jew do you think he was? Hebraic or Hellenistic? Of course, he's a Hellenistic Jew. He comes from the Greek culture. So if you're trying to serve Hellenistic widows, who would you want to help you do that better? You would want a Hellenistic leader. These people together said, the people that we want to serve, we need to have leaders involved. People who are part of the ministry who look and are exactly like them. We are calling then us for us to enlarge our vision of what ministry is from this group of people who look the same, the disciples, the 12, to people who don't look quite like them because we're serving different groups of people. That's actually a really important point. You know why? Because it's why she sat in this chair this morning playing bass. That's why this girl stood here this morning singing to lead you. That's why you had two kids back there on the drums and the percussion. Because we want to serve our kids, don't we? Amen? We want to serve our kids. How do we serve our kids? By getting those who look like them involved in ministry. Getting those who are them involved in ministry. Why? Because you don't think that the kids who were standing up here for God's blessing this morning weren't looking up there and thinking maybe that could be me in three, four years. That could be me back there being involved in ministry. The example that we get here from the early church is calling us to say, who is it that God is calling into ministry that can help us enlarge our view and our reach of who we can welcome into this community. It's why, you know, we, and sometimes it can be a challenging word when you're thinking about leadership, why we embrace diversity. Because diversity allows us to have a broader and a bigger voice. But it does create challenges. Don't you think that Nicholas had some challenges with the others in terms of how he saw ministry? Of course he did. He was Greek. They're Hebraic. 
It's sometimes the same when you get involved in the life of kids and kids want to do things that kids want to do and you're like, wait, hold on, that's not how we do it, right? That, that phrase gets uttered a lot. And yet, God is using each person with the gifts and abilities he's made in them to serve the church, grow the ministry of the church, and, and, and serve so many others in ways that they've never served them before. This is a powerful challenge for us because here we have the spirit to call the community into active engagement. Hear me there, friends. It's not just sitting back. It's not just showing up. It's not just saying, I'm a part of this community. It is then saying, what gifts has God given me to be a part of the ministry that God is doing here at the river? And here's the challenge. That has to be, and we know it from this text, spirit-filled and spirit-led means that you and I need to have some conversations with the Spirit. What is it that God is calling me to do in the life of the church? What is it? Where is it? And we see what happens when that sort of conversation happens in the lives of the people. Verse 7 says this, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Why is that? Why did things expand? Because they had voices among them that could go into places that they never could have gone before. They had Nicholas from Antioch. I'm sure that Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Stephen certainly had a different voice than the rest of the 12 disciples who were a part of the prayer and the preaching of the word. Suddenly you had people being able to have a conversation in a context that they never could have had a conversation before. Ministry grew because somebody said, I have this space and if I don't live into the giftings God has given me in this space, no one else is going to occupy, occupy this space so I need to live into the gifts that I have. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, I don't know my gifts. Fair enough. We're actually working on some stuff by this fall to help you explore more deeply what your gifts are. Because we want you to understand what your place is. Is your place in generosity? God has equipped you and given you a heart of generosity and the money to be able to do it. Is God equipping you to live more deeply into that gift? Is God equipping you to help Shana with her work with early childhood ministry and to be a volunteer with with uh, working with those little, you know, little possessed children sometimes who are in children's ministry. Is God equipping you with the patience and the ability and the, 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 uh, the opportunity to do that? Is God equipping you to work with, with Becca or with Patty or to help out Mario? Is God equipping you to help out someone like Greg on, being a volunteer on the administration team and the finance team? Is God equipping you to be a person up here? We have a person here this morning who's, who's um, wanting to be here and listen to songs and learn a little bit more about how to lead worship because she wants to lead worship very soon. So she's watching this morning, trying to discover how do I best use my gifts? Maybe like Nate Treemstra, you need to go to seminary because a person like me sees those gifts in you and you need to go learn what it means to become a preacher of God's word. Discover more of the gifts God has given you. And friends, I don't know what they are. Some of you, I could probably name them or figure them out. 
I know that there are really good administrators in here who need to be a part of administering things. I know that there are people out here who are great evangelists. I know that there are people here who are prayer warriors. And the thing is, hear me here. If you ain't dead, you got a job. If you ain't dead, you got a job. If you weren't here for Patsy Stanton's funeral, I said at Patsy's funeral, that was about three weeks ago, I said this there, up until the day that she died, Patsy knew that she had ministry. She and I had talked about that many, many times over the years. She didn't know what she could do. She couldn't be a volunteer in the nursery. She couldn't be a youth leader. She couldn't do a whole lot of things, but here's what she could do. She could give faithfully, which she did. She gave faithfully to so many ministries, and Greg can tell you stories of of ways that she would make sure that she would drive into church in the midweek when she wasn't there on Sunday to make sure that we received her gift for that particular ministry that we were supporting. And she could pray. And she did. Oh man, did she. She prayed hard, and she prayed long. She probably prayed for you. I know she prayed for your kids. And she could do that. And if you know Patsy, she wasn't moving very quick. If you know Patsy, she didn't have a high amount of energy. She was a fairly undereducated woman, so she didn't have high learning. She wasn't a graduate student or anything like that. She was a simple believer who simply said, what are the gifts that God has given me, and how can I live into those? And that's my challenge to you. Because we see it here when people live into the giftings. When they live into the design that God has for them. And if you are hearing me here this morning and you sense the Spirit's movement in your life, then this challenge is for you. These people have heard the Spirit's calling and they are going to use the gifts that God has given them to bless the kingdom. And what happens? The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased great, rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Friends, I want, to th- I want to be able to say that for Redlands. I want to be able to say that for you, Kaipa, and Banning, and San Bernardino, and Colton, and wherever it is that you're from. That God is doing something through you that there are disciples coming to the faith because you are using, I am using, we are using the gifts and the design that God has given us to live into that faith. It's the difference between being a spectator or a participant. A spectator is simply this. Actually, uh, how many of you watching the World Cup? Why not? You should be watching the World Cup. If you watched the World Cup yesterday, we watched the game between Croatia and Russia. Who can really, at the end of the day, say we won? Who could say we won at the end of that game? Who saw it? Who could say Croatia won the game, right? Croatia could say we won, but who could really say we won? Everyone in the stands who was wearing a Croatia jersey? Absolutely not. They didn't win. They didn't do anything. They bought a beer, sat in a chair, stood up and cheered sometimes. And at the end of the game, they said, we won. They didn't win. They didn't do anything. They they were spectators. The only people who won were those people who had been asked by the Soccer Federation of Croatia to be on the Croatian national team who showed up and for 120 minutes plus PKs yesterday showed up 
and participated in the game and won it. The only people who can say we won are the participants. Are you sitting in the stands with a beer in your hand? Or are you on the field? For us to ask that question this morning means that we're listening to the call of the Holy Spirit. We're allowing Christ who has saved us and redeemed us to call us into ministry and use the gifts he's given to us to serve him in the exact way that he's called us to serve him. To that end, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your spirit. I thank you, even as we've mentioned the specifics of our staff here. Thank you, Lord, for the giftings of each one of these folks who has blessed us immeasurably and richly and beyond what we could even ask of them. They have been generous with their time and their talents, and they have, with servants' hearts, served this community, some for a very long time, some just for a very short time, but, Lord, that faithfulness is true and real, and it is a blessing to this community. I pray, Lord, that you also... Equip us, challenge us, move us, inspire us to ask that question. How is it that we serve you? How is it that we give to you what you have given to us? Whether it be that ability to play an instrument or, and sing. Whether it be that ability to lead or write or, or be a part of, of um, caring for others in some way. Maybe it's a part of serving with Lunch Bunch or at Magonia School or MCCA or, or Hands of Mercy. Maybe, Lord, it's simply to be prayer warriors and supporters of what you are doing here. Whatever those things are, Lord, that you've called us to, we pray in Jesus' name that you prompt us towards that through your Holy Spirit. Challenge us. Move us beyond what is comfortable and easy that we are willing to go beyond to to have faith that what you have given us to serve you is more than enough to bless the kingdom of God. And that's, Lord, where we are faithful in the same way that you have been faithful to us. Lord, equip us to this end because only you can do that. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.